Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about both ministries and to gain access to archives from this radio program. I'm glad you've joined us today. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and as we go into our study for today, we ask that the Spirit of God would open hearts to His truth. Now take your Bibles in hand so that we may feast on the Word of the Lord. Psalm 57 is written while David is on the run from King Saul. David's been forced to hide in a cave, and in that cave he feels the hurricane force of calamity coming down upon him. This psalm is technically categorized as a song of lament, but the lament is hardly heard above David's expressions of committed trust and his resolutions of determined praise. These rise up out of the cave because David rehearsed in his heart some of the dear attributes of God. Now learn from David to encourage yourself in the Lord, and you will find a song to sing even in the dark caves of difficulty in which you may one day find yourself. We spoke about it last week. David will be pursued by King Saul for over a decade, running from place to place, being forced to actually flee into the foreign countries and the foreign tribes around him, those very tribes. When he was a general under Saul, David carried out battle with these enemies, the Moabites and the Amalekites and the Philistines, and he brought defeat to them, and now he's forced to flee into their territory because Saul is pursuing them over these 10 years, seeking to destroy him. He will walk this tightrope walk between the two. He will bounce between the hostile territory of the Moabites and the Amalekites and the Philistines and then back into the hostile territory of the land of Israel, the very land that God has promised that he should be king one day over this land. And in this time, at least on two different occasions, he's forced to hide in caves. And we're told in one of the caves in which he hid in that it was there that all the, the old King James puts it this way, all the worthless people of the land came and congregated around him. All those individuals who had got on the wrong side of the law and on the wrong side of governance and were seeking a refuge came to try to find their refuge with David. And it was in this cave that he cries out a number of the songs of lament. And you can go through them and some of them are really, David is really, really, really low. Here is maybe the last of the songs of lament he wrote. In the midst of all this lamentation, he's finding himself getting hold of a promise and of a point of comfort. And so, technically, this Psalm 57 is a psalm of lament, but it is the most joyful lament that you'll find in all of the psalms. It has permeating it a sense of hope and a sense of confidence. In fact, the first half of the psalm really is an expression of David's confident trust in God. And the second half of the psalm is David's expression of his determination to praise God for outcomes that have yet to be realized. I'm going to praise you, God. I am going to awaken the dawn. My song is going to be lifted up before the sun even rises. In fact, it will come with such intensity that I will draw the sun up over the horizon with my praise. And he says this when he's in a cave. And the calamity that's coming upon him, he says the word calamity, the real word there in the Hebrew is the engulfing storm. It's the picture of a hurricane that is coming upon him. And as we mentioned last week, he goes on to personify this storm, this hurricane, and actually say that its hot breath is breathing down his neck and ready to swallow him up. That there are individuals actually that are bringing this storm upon his life and they're ready to 
consume him in the vortex of their destructive ways. He realizes that he's surrounded by something worse than lions. He's surrounded by violent men that would tear him apart and whose lives are set on fire with angry passions to destroy him. They seek to gather him up in a net. They seek to capture him in a pit like prey. This is the circumstance that he's going through. So David is in a cave. In this cave, he feels the storm of life descending upon him. It seems as though everything is conspiring down to come down his and breathe down his neck. He feels it himself surrounded by lions that would tear him to shreds and that he is a prey for men. And in that context, he offers up this song of lament that's punctuated with wonderful expressions of trust and wonderful determinations of praise. We asked ourselves last week, how did David get there? How did he get to this point where he found this point of tremendous victory? Oh, that our laments to God sounded like this psalm. How did he get there? Well, he got there, we said, because David did what he had learned to do in 1 Samuel chapter 30. There is a story or account where where he's in one of these foreign territories where the Amalekites come while his soldiers are out on a foray with him and they take away their children and their wives and their possessions and David has his wives and his children taken away as well. And when they come back to find the city that they had been inhabiting called Ziklag, abandoned, burned to the ground and their wives and children all led away captive, the soldiers are so distraught that David has not anticipated this and provided for some protection for these families that they think to stone him. And we read in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, these words. David was greatly distressed. This is the hurricane of life. These are men literally breathing down his neck to destroy him. These are, in this case, the very soldiers around him who are lions on fire, ready to tear him to shreds. How do you tame these lions and go on? For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And this is what David is doing in this text. David in this hurricane force that's blowing down upon his spirit, and with the hot breath of the pursuers pursuing him, David pauses in the midst of his lament, to encourage himself in the Lord as God. And so what we began last week was to consider and to take to heart the things that David took to heart at that moment in time. To offer this encouragement of David up as a prescription for your times of distress as well. And the first thing that David does is he meditates upon and he calls upon the mercy of God. And this is what we said. When we go through hard times and difficult times in our lives, our response to those difficulties, when, you know, history seems to turn against us and circumstances seem to turn against us and the roof begins to cave in and the car begins to fall apart and the transmission goes out and the family begins to betray us and all the hardships begin to mount up, we say oftentimes something like this, God, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do? to earn this from you. And we said, now that's the wrong response. What David says here is that everything that he's experienced in life is the mercy of God. That David has, and David understands, he has never 
ever fully got from God what he truly deserves, and neither have you. None of us have. Got from God what we deserve? Never. And so what David says instead is, now listen, Saul may be pursuing him for the wrong reason. He may be suspecting David of treachery that David is not offering up. David is one who proves himself over and over again when he has opportunities to destroy Saul that he won't do it because he's an individual submissive to the leadership that God has put over him, but Saul is jealous and doesn't know it, and Saul is seeking his death, and the Amalekites might think that David is planning treachery for them. So might the Philistines. This is not what is in David's mind or in David's heart, and they're wrong to be pursuing them, but still... David is innocent in a sense of what they think he is guilty of, but still, David knows, oh, there's sin in my life, and God is just. And by God's mercy, I have my standing in my life today, and I'm getting what is just and right even in this. And so what David prays for is not for justice. God, justly bring an end to this suffering and this misery and this storm, because God, I don't deserve this. That's not what David prays. He says, God, be merciful to me. God, I stand before you purely on the basis of your mercy. Oh, God, be merciful to me. And then David offers a reason for God to be merciful to him. He says, and by the way, this is somewhat oxymoronic. Because mercy is something that's completely undeserved, something that's completely unmerited. It's God's withholding from us what we deserve to get. And David knows this. God be merciful to me, but David still feels compelled to give God a reason for this mercy. David says, because I trust in you. I'm depending and relying upon you alone. God, you are the one who is in control of all things. You are the one who brings judgment upon all men. You are the one who oversees all the circumstances of our life, and everything that you do is just. And I stand here before you, never having received the full slate of your justice. Because you're merciful. And I'm not trying to earn your favor. I'm just in your all-powerful, righteous hands. God, be merciful to me because I trust in you. I'm not putting out to you my resume. I'm not defending myself. I'm casting myself upon you, all just, all powerful God who is a consuming fire. I'm trusting in you. Be merciful to me. And God responds. We said it last week. There's the one reason you can give God for being merciful to you. The one thing, in a sense, that will draw forth the merit, express the merit that God responds to. Just utter trust in Him alone. Casting yourself upon Him alone, because that's what God designs in everything. God's design for everything is to drive us to His own self, to cast ourselves upon His heart, to let Him express His great mercy towards us. God, be merciful towards me because I trust in you. Second, David appeals to the tender care of this all-powerful God. He encourages himself in the midst of the storm by the thought that God is tender. He says, God, hide me beneath your wings. This God is like no other God of the pagans around him and the heathens around them. Their gods are destructive gods that are expressions of their own passions. But here is the all-powerful, almighty creator God who is holy in every way and perfect in every way and guides all of the nations, and yet, by the Spirit of God, David realizes that this God is a God who is tender, and that has a feathery tenderness that he can draw himself near to. Again, we said last week, when we go through difficulties and challenges in our lives, and we face these hardships, not only do we say, 
God, what did I do to deserve this? But the next thing we often do is we impose upon God our distresses and our fears and our anxieties. And we begin to think that God is angry with us and that God is vindictive and that God is taking pleasure in crushing us and that God is being cruel and God is being unkind because he's letting all these things happen to us. Think David might think this thing. God is playing with me. As a young man, I wasn't seeking myself, but God sent a prophet into my father's home, and I was told by this prophet that God had chosen me to be the king to rule after Saul. I've not sought to assert myself in any way. God put his anointing spirit upon my life, and now God is toying with me. Maybe he knows the sins of my youth, and he's rubbing my nose in it. That's what we do. But by the Spirit of God, David brings up a different image of God. Not an angry God, not a vindictive God, not a God who takes pleasure in crushing us, but a God who is inviting us to come under His wings of care and to trust in Him, to find security and protection and tenderness from Him. It is this patient and tender God whose voice needs to be expressed in our voices as we share the good news with others. God has called us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect. To that end, I want to direct you to a book that I wrote, which was graciously endorsed by Ravi Zacharias, and I'm glad to have met the man. The book is entitled Pathway to the Soul, Reaching People Through Spirit-Led Dialogue. Pathway to the Soul. You can find it at Amazon.com or through links at our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. I'm most glad that you're listening in as we share with you the good news from our most gracious Lord. Until the next time, may God bless you.